Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Brandon was, was saying, and he was, and he was praying as well, that uh, you know, not only do, do I need to be prepared, and, and I, I pray that God has prepared my heart and, and mind and, and, and body for this message, but if we aren't ready to receive the Word of God, we're really going to miss something. And so we have three more opportunities, honestly four counting right now, to hear from the Lord, to, to record what He's saying to spend time with other brothers or sisters in Christ, and, and to really consider what the Lord would have you to do. How would he have you to live, and, and in what manner are you to, to be? And I think that that's something that we should consider, and it's something that we should be praying about right now. Uh, you know, at at our, our church right now, we're, we're in the book of Romans, and so basically whatever Brandon preaches, I just do it later, and so, which makes my in the Word a lot easier. So I just listen to the message, and then I preach 1 Corinthians. So he probably actually is. So uh, no, but anyway, I, I'm asking you tonight that you would prepare your heart, and that in some way, what, and what I was saying about Romans is that, you know what I'm learning is that really repentance is something that needs to be found in all of us. Repentance is not something that should just be, be found at the moment of salvation, Repentance is something that on a daily basis, I, I'm considering my prideful disposition, that prideful disposition that we were singing on just a second ago, and that we're considering, God, what are the things that today I need to repent of so that, so that you would be Lord, master of my life? And so I just pray that that, that is our heart tonight. I'd like for us to begin our, our study this evening in Genesis chapter 1, and, and you'll see the title of our, our message, both messages uh, that I'm speaking, is going to be on the good work of God. Tonight, the subtitle is A Partnership for the Ages. And so I'd like, if we can, to turn to Genesis 1.1, and it says this, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And what we find from the first chapter of your Bible and from the first verse of your Bible is we read of God's creation. The story that you hold in your hands, the book that you hold in your hands, is a story of God and his relationship to man, but it begins with the understanding. Like, it's not even, it's not even in question. The book that you hold in your hand, it begins with the understanding that God is a maker, that God is a builder, and from this first chapter, we read, in, in chapter 1 alone, you read of seven times that in his creation that he uses the word good. And, and what you'll notice uh, throughout my, my, the, the PowerPoint slides that are with, you're not going to be able to get everything down. There'll be certain things that you know you need to write down. And so just know that some of these are just an aid. They're a visual aid. So don't feel like you have to capture everything There'll be some things that, that I'll be flying through, and so just be, be aware of that. But what you read about in, in Genesis 1, I'm talking, I want to start reading my Bible. Okay, Genesis 1, you start reading, God's a maker, he's a builder, and what he makes is good. And so from this biblical perspective, and the first mention of the word good, some, some of you guys know what I'm speaking about when I speak of a first mention, from this biblical perspective and the first mention of the word good, we learn that when God works, when he moves, that what he makes is good. That what God makes, what he builds, what he creates is good. Even more so, we study, as we study our Bibles and as we compare spiritual with spiritual, we deduce then through, through Genesis 1, a first mention, and as we see the rest of the Bible unfold and we compare Scripture with Scripture, we deduce that anything that is good in this world is truly a work of God. The biblical perspective. You're like, well, there's a lot of things good. Biblically. Biblically good 
if it is biblically good, it is of God. So tonight, let's lay a biblical foundation. That's the first word that you might want to write down of importance. Tonight, we're going to lay a biblical foundation for this study. Anything that is good in this world is the result of God working. God is therefore the author and maker of all things good. Goodness does not, it does not come, goodness does not flow out of or come from our intentions or my intentions or even my upward movement. What I mean by upward movement would be any type of, of praise or, or, or worship that I give. Goodness is not found in what I do. It's not found in my actions or intentions, but rather any notion of goodness can only exist as God moves, as God works on behalf of his creation. You guys with me? Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, it confirms this by saying, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together, all of us, become unprofitable. Oh, and by the way, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. And yet we find the biblical narrative in chapter 1 of Genesis, the first book of your Bible, the first chapter of your Bible, is that God does a lot of good. God's all about good, but you can't do good without him. And so if good exists in this world, it means that God is the one that is the author and maker of it. So then we understand that any goodness that is present in me, any goodness that's present even in this world for that matter, if we want to go to that degree, is a result of God moving in us. It's the result of God working. From the beginning, we see that God is interested in showcasing his good work in his creation. Now, now there's so many things that we can say about the Bible, and, and isn't the Bible wonderfully complex? The Bible's not confusing, but it is so complex. It's the most beautiful work of art we've ever seen. It's God's handiwork, right? And it's good, and it's great. But what we find in the Bible as we open the pages from the very beginning is that God is interested in showcasing his goodness in us and in his creation. That's how the story begins. A lot of times we talk about what's the theme of the Bible, and we would say a kingdom, right? And, and you would rightly say that. But in the very same breath, you got to say, well, it's about God doing a good work in his creation. It's about God creating something in his creation, and it's good. And so don't miss this big picture. You can't miss this big picture when you read your Bible. Listen, there are 66 books. It's a lot. There, there is close to 1,200 chapters in the Bible. 1,200, that's a lot. But the story begins with God working his goodness in his creation. And so that's something we want to, to hold on to as an anchor. And not only that, though, but in Genesis 1, again, Genesis 1 is what? In the beginning. In the very beginning, we see God partnering with man. This is incredible. We understand that at the very beginning, what God, when God moves, when he works, he, he does a good work. That it's a good work that he, that he produces. But not only that, in the first chapter of the Bible, we see that God wants to partner with, with humanity. He wants to partner with mankind to accomplish his good work. And he didn't need to partner with us. Amen? He, he didn't need to partner with man. One could even argue, as we all comprehend this and contemplate this, one could even argue that it didn't make sense to co-labor with man. <laughs> the more you think about it, even, even as believers, you're like, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> We're kind of not too good at it. <laughs> one would argue that it, it didn't make sense for God to use man, but that was what he chose to do. You see, God chose to engage his creation God wanted his creation to be near him, to know his heart, 
to know his mind. Because of that, because God desired to be near his creation, to be one with his creation, he gave man an opportunity to enter into his work. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them and God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God's desire for man, and you know this, many of you guys know this, some of you might not. This might be the first time you're hearing this. I don't want to make any assumptions. But God's desire for man from chapter 1. We don't have to get far into the study. You guys with me on this? We don't have to read too far and go, well, what does God want? No, God is telling us what he wants in the first chapter. He says, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. And a, lot, and a lot of times we say that this was a physical commission given by God. But the reality is, is that in Genesis 1, the commission that God gave to, a, to Adam was both physical and spiritual. Because there was no separation of the two before the fall. This commission that God gave to man, don't miss this, this commission that God gave to man was spiritually motivated. God wanted, and biblically one can easily argue that he still desires for his creation to bear fruit. He desires for his creation to bear fruit and fruit that remains. We understand that God desires and he wants us to multiply Spiritually speaking, we understand that this is bringing others who will continue into the work, that this is a part of God's plan. God wants us to replenish the earth. His desire is that we, we would fill the world with a creation that looks like him. That's, that's the, the plan. That's the desire of his heart. That's the partnership that he gives us in Genesis 1. God's purpose for man's creation was to fill this world with worshipers of God, with those who look like God and sound like God, and with those who would give him honor for his goodness that has been placed in us. And lastly, we see that God also desired and desires for man to subdue the earth. This is something that I remember uh, Blade, uh, Pastor Blade teaching on at Living Faith. I think it was a men's breakfast um, a, while, a while ago now, almost maybe a year ago. I can't remember, but, but he said, how often do we focus in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and we focus on be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and we, we just throw off subdue as if, as if it wasn't a part of the charge. And, and man, it caught my eye, and, and, and of the things that he said, I, I want to share with you uh, what, what I learned from that study. What we understand is not only are we told, like I said, to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, but God also called us to subdue it. That the earth would be subject to you and not you to the earth. The, the plan was to be fruitful, multiply, replenish, but also that the earth would be subject to you and not you to the earth. God's first command was for Adam in Genesis 1.26. It was for him to have dominion. And we see throughout this passage, over the fish of the sea. Now, when, when we speak of the sea and when we speak of fish in this generation, what are we speaking of? Well, the souls of men. And God told Adam, I want you to have dominion over the fowls of the air. And if you've done any Bible study, you know that the fowls of the air, this is the demonic spiritual wickedness in high places. And that God wanted Adam to have dominion over the cattle and over every living thing. Well, this is anything else that is of the world. Adam, I want you to have dominion over it and that they would be subject to you and not you to it. So in subduing all things, God was showing us that he wanted Adam's flesh. He wanted Adam's worldview and, and the world system and the devil to be in subjection to him. That is what God called Adam to. 
That's what he called them to. And so we've talked about the foundation. The foundation is that God is a God of a good work. But now let's begin. We're, we're starting to see how he is, he's framing his foundation. How is the foundation framed? We already know that when God works, when he moves, that he's building his goodness into his creation. That, that that's the foundation is that God desires to build his goodness into his creation. But now we see that the framing of his foundation, the framing of that, in, of that foundation is an invitation. God frames his foundation with an invitation for man to enter his work. The framing of the foundation is an invitation. Is that God is saying, I want to partner with you. I want to partner with you. And what you'll, if you study the Bible, if you spend any time reading the words, and if you understand this, it will change the way you hear God speak. Is that not only is he a God who is accomplishing a good work, but he says, and I want you to be part of it. That he wants to partner with us. Throughout history, we see this, and in his word, we see God inviting man into his work. And yet, if we were to keep studying the Bible out of Genesis 1, and we, we get into Genesis 3, many of you guys know that you know the next part of the story. Adam didn't subdue the world, did he? Adam didn't subdue the world. He was conquered by it. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue the world. That was the one thing that Adam didn't do. He didn't subdue it. The world subdued him. He, become, he became subjected to the world, and he became in bondage to it. Only two chapters later, man falls away from God. Instead of participating in God's good work, Adam rebels from God and leads all of humanity into sin. No longer is man born in the image of God, Genesis 1. Now we take on the image of our earthly father. Aren't we all in the image of God? No. No. No, Genesis 5.3, it answers that. You can read that with me. And Adam lived 130 years and he begat a son. How? In his own likeness. After his image. Unless you missed it on the first time. God's like, Moses, write, write, write down after his image too. <laughs> like in case you missed that, Moses is doubling down when he wrote the book of Genesis by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What we recognize here is that Adam, when he had Seth, he had him in his own likeness after his own image and not in the image of God. No longer is man now, in Genesis chapter 5, no longer is man capable of accomplishing God's first commission to man. Man has fallen away from God and is spiritually separated from its creator. And we know that the result of Genesis chapter 3, we know the result of man's sin and of falling away from God is death. Death now, as a result of sin, has crept into God's creation. And from this, we see how man, us included, man continually forfeits his part in the work because of sin. The foundation was set. We see it. We see it in chapter 1. The foundation is set. The framework is ready. God's saying, and you're going to be my tools. I'm going to use you to frame the foundation. And yet our flesh has forfeited its part in God's good work choosing rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And guys, while I walk through this narrative of the Old Testament, I pray to God that you have a heart of expectation, as Pastor Brandon was just speaking of, and that you're asking, God, is this me? Number one, am I even aware that God, from the foundation of, of, of time, that you've been creating and making a good work? Do I know that... that not only do I know, but do I believe that, God, you actually want to partner with me? Surely that can't be true. 
And then maybe for some of you, you're, not, you're right now thinking and considering, you should be considering, God, have I forfeited? Have I forfeited my part in your work? Because I'd rather choose to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Guys, listen, man forfeits the good work of God when it chooses instead to work in the flesh. Listen, you're going to work. You're going to work. You're going to do something. But I'm telling you right now, you have two choices. You can do the work of God or you can do the work of the flesh. It's your choice. But when you choose the work of the flesh, I want to tell you right now that you are forfeiting the work of God. You, you cannot serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, right? Or you'll serve the one and, and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. That's what the word of God says. You have two choices. And, and if you choose to try to balance it, if you choose one and you're thinking, well, maybe I can also be a Christian as well, you are forfeiting the work of God. And yet immediately, guys, this is the incredible thing. This is, guys, this is so... It's incredible. The foundation is laid. The framework is is, is available. Mankind is available to to frame out the foundation. And man falls into sin and he forfeits his right into the work. And yet immediately following the failure of man, immediately following, God chooses to partner with us again. We've just forfeited. You lost. You said, no thanks. I'd rather enjoy this. I'd I'd rather build this kingdom that I'm trying to build instead of yours, God. And you forfeited it. And God says, let's try again. God chooses to partner with us again. And while we know from Genesis chapter 3 that man can no longer reproduce spiritual worshipers of God, that's gone. There's no way that man can now reproduce spiritual worshipers of God. That was God's plan from the very beginning. Man can't do that, but God begins to speak again to man. God tells Adam's offspring to even still choose his good work. Isn't that crazy? Right after the the, the fall of man... God then approaches Cain of all people. God approaches Cain. He talks to Adam's offspring. And he says, hey, listen, Cain, I'd like you to be a part of my good work. Cain. Cain had just offered a sacrifice in Genesis 4 of his works to God. It was the best of his garden. Some of you guys know this story. Cain offers... Uh, the, he, was a, he was a gardener, and so he offers the best of his garden. And man, I'll tell you, you know, the best of the fruit and the vegetables and everything. He says, God, it's all yours. Can you imagine how proud he was? And, and he's just like, man, I wonder what he's going to say. I mean, he's excited. And then when, when, when God shows up, we, we see that God is just flat out, I'm talking not interested. He looks at it, he's like, no. He's not interested in Cain's, what? Good works. He's not interested in Cain's good work. He's not interested in what Cain can offer. On the contrary, God does accept Abel's sacrifice. And that sacrifice was a sacrifice of an innocent lamb that was offered as a covering for his lack. He knew that he was exposed before God as a sinner. And he understood that, that in some way he had no ability to please God, so he offered an innocent thing in his place so that God would then be satisfied. Well, Cain's watching this unfold, and he's going, man, what gives? Come on now. At this point, Cain is angry. And yet, how does God deal with Cain's angry heart? Does God rebuke him? Does God, is God angry at him? You know what God does? Man, Cain, it says he's wroth. He invites him once more into his good work. God wasn't interested in Cain's good work. But God was absolutely interested in his own good work. And he wanted to say, hey, Cain, let's give this another shot. How does that sound? Are you interested in that? 
Genesis 4, 6 through 7. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? Listen to this word, don't skip over it. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Accepted with who? With him, with God. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire. Speaking of Abel. And thou shalt rule over him. Listen, guys, what do you think God was wanting, wanting Cain to do? God was wanting Cain to repent. He was giving Cain. Cain was about to do something horrible. Do you think God didn't have the foreknowledge of that? And God was saying, Cain, I want to give you an opportunity one more time to enter into my good work. I'm not interested in your work, Cain. I'm not interested in your goodness, but I absolutely am interested in my goodness in you. I want to partner with you. I want want you to be a part of what I'm doing. God wanted Cain to repent of the evil that was present in his heart. He wanted him to turn around. God was telling Cain at this moment, Cain, turn around. You don't have to go down that path. I know where your heart is heading, and you don't have to go there. Turn around. Following our our forfeiture. We'll just skip over that. Our forfeit. God fosters an environment that brings us back to his foundation. Repentance is thus a very present part of God's good work. When you fail, when you fall, when you completely rebel and reject and you're wanting to do your own thing and you've, and you've completely walked out on God, I am telling you, If you still have breath to breathe, then there is an opportunity where you can live in the fostering care of God, where he would foster an environment to where you can turn around. God tells Cain, we can start again. We can start again. There's still a chance. Cain, you're not seeing this right. I want you to, I want to help you see how you can be part of my good work again. In this, God is offering man a second chance. But for those who know the story, Cain, he doesn't repent. Instead, he chooses to murder his brother, and honestly, the offspring that follow him, well, they do no better. Humanity now in Genesis 5 and Genesis 6, humanity is spiraling down a dark path. And, I, and don't miss this. You start reading, you start reading uh, five to six chapters in and you're going, man, this is getting heavy quick. Don't miss this. When you start studying this out as the offspring, what are they doing? Humanity is spiraling down this dark path. Why? Because man isn't interested in God's good work. They're not interested. I don't want to do it. And listen, If the church isn't interested in God's good work, why would humanity be? And so man isn't interested. And so God is forced to start over again. In Genesis 6, 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only, what? Evil continually. What we see is is. And, and, and guys, I'm not, I'm not making this up. What's the story of God from the very beginning? Is that God has a good work. And where's man going? Evil. There's a rejection. All of mankind has rejected God's goodness in pursuit of evil. And so God, what does he do? He floods the earth. And I know for some, we, we read that story and we, we struggle with it. And we look at that and it's so catastrophic. But listen, don't get it twisted. God gave man 125 years to repent. 125 years. God's judgment only came after a century of grace. Then in Genesis 9, following the flood, God invites his creation back into his good work. Noah is given the same commission as Adam to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. 
Only now there is no subduing as, as man is spiritually dead and incapable of doing so in the power of the flesh. Noah, who experienced the flood and judgment of God, yet lived. Man, Noah and his sons, they would have been the perfect people to lead and teach God's new creation of, God, of God's goodness, his mercy, his judgment. Noah was going to establish a, a country, a city, a government, a people that would obey the Lord. Who would you want to put in charge besides Noah who, who not only went through the flood but lived? He saw the judgment of God. He saw the wrath of God, but he also experienced the grace of God. Who would you want to lead this new people but Noah and his sons? And yet we know that only a short time later, instead of replenishing the earth, Noah's offspring, they begin to build a tower in Babel. And this tower wasn't just like any tower. This tower, it says, was to reach unto heaven. And you go, well, that, that's, an, that's an interesting phrase. I don't know exactly what that means. I don't either. I don't either. There are so many ideas and thoughts as to what that tower could have been. I, I can't tell you what it is. I'm, I'm, but all of humanity at that time was coming together to create this tower, enough to where God's like, oh, yeah, we're done. And so man is, is creating this tower to reach to heaven. Well, you're like, well, what's the big deal? Well, well, let's frame it this way. Man was looking for a way to reach God without God. To have the promise of eternal life without the life giver. To be like God in his presence without our submission. Now, isn't that the truth? And so God confounds their language, their scheming, and man is scattered throughout the world, which was God's intention all along. So what's, what's the main thought as regards to this section of Scripture? What we understand is that God has always wanted his foundation, his good work to be found in all the world. That is God's plan. But instead of building God's foundation, too many men are busy building their own. Mankind, that this was building their own foundation instead of the foundation of God. And this we see that the good work of God was always meant to be found in the farthest reaches of our world. In Genesis 12, God is not finished with man. I mean, I don't know, and I hope I haven't lost you already. We're, we're, we're walking through the scriptures. We're seeing through these different times of, of human history the ways in which God wants to partner with us, and yet every single time man thumbs his nose at God, and then God in the most humble manner comes back to, God, uh, comes back to us. And so here we are in Genesis 12. God is not finished with man, and God chooses a man, and his name is Abram. We understand him as Abraham. God wanted his good work to be showcased in a family. Guys, can you see it? Over and over, God is looking to establish his goodness in us. He greatly desires for his creation to be near him, for his creation to partner with him. And so God makes a covenant with Abram, and he promises land to Abram and a supernatural seed. And out of this land and seed, the Savior of the world would come to rule over the nations, showing his goodness to all of his creation. But once again, and I'm, I'm fast-forwarding uh, uh, almost the whole book of Genesis and a little bit of Exodus even. Instead of trusting God, Abraham and his family, Abraham being the first one, he brings confusion into his family. God wanted to use the family unit during, during this, this era of human history. He said, I want to partner with the family. I want to use a single man and his family to showcase my good work in all of creation. And yet Abraham, he brings confusion to that plan. And what do we find at the end of this, of this era, of this age? Is that he ends up leaving the land that God had promised him. And where does Israel, where does the children of Israel, where do they end up? Where? In Egypt. They leave the promised land for a land of slavery. 
They choose slavery. They choose bondage. And what we find is that Abraham's family, they make their home in Egypt for over 400 years. And and for 400 of those years, Abraham and his family are in slavery to this world power. And from this, we see that the good work of God was always intended to be done by a family. That was, that was God's plan. And what I'm trying to show you as we walk through these different individuals and through these different chapters of the Bible, what you find is that what God intended for each of these individuals, God intends for you. He intends this for you. And yet what we realize and what Abraham showed us in the Bible is that an earthly family can't accomplish the work of God. But God is showing us that the work of God is absolutely a family business. Following the failure of the family, God brings up another man, and his name is Moses, to rescue his people. And through a series of plagues, the king of Egypt finally lets the people of Israel go free. During this exodus, God gives them laws to live by. God was now partnering with this nation. And why was God partnering with the nation of Israel? So that the world could see, what? The goodness of God. The story has always been that God wants to partner with us. He wants to partner with his creation so that his goodness, not that of our own, not of our own abilities. In fact, he says, I didn't pick you, Israel, because you were the greatest or the biggest or the baddest. In fact, you were, you were kind of lousy. <laughs> you couldn't really do anything. I picked you because I wanted the world to see through you my goodness. I wanted the world to see through you my good work. And you, God wanted to use a people of no strength. And for a time, what we find as you read through Exodus and, and, and even through, you know, First and Second Samuel, and, and there's ups and downs for sure, but, but you find yourself even in the kings, and, and we, we, we work our way through David and, 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 and even Solomon. And if you study the Bible, what you find is that for a time, Israel did just that. God was using this nation to showcase his goodness. And it says that people all over the world were coming to King Solomon and they were saying, man, I got to kind of, I got to check this out. Like, what's going on? What's happening here? What's happening right here? We see that they obeyed the Lord and And we saw how God moved mightily on their behalf. And because of this, the nations of the world began to see God's good work in his creation. And yet, just like all the other times before, man walks away from God's plan. Israel proved that no man could keep the promises of God. In fact, that's what we find not only in the historical books of your Bible... But throughout the wisdom books, throughout the major and minor prophets, what do we see in the Old Testament? We see that that God gave the perfect plan, but Israel operated in the poorest of circumstances. That there was no ability, no matter how hard Israel tried, there was no ability for Israel to accomplish the work of God and the power of the flesh. And so man walks away from God again. No matter how hard they tried, no matter how hard we try. Man, guys, as the great hymnist wrote in the 1700s, this hymnist he wrote, he says, prone to wander. What? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And isn't that so true? That inside of us there's a burning desire wander. There's a burning desire in our flesh to leave the very God that we say we love. And isn't that true? That, that, and, and listen, I believe that, that when you say, when I say I love the Lord, listen, I just believe that you mean it. And, and if I asked the majority of people in here, and I'm not assuming that everyone's a believer in here, but I'm telling you this, for, for, for I hope the majority of the people in here, if I asked, man, do you love the Lord? Man, I love him. I believe you. 
I really believe you. And yet I'm also in full acknowledgement that you have a flesh that hates every bit of this. And depending on, on what you feed, the spirit or the flesh, you will be prone to wander and you will be prone to leave the God you love. And so what we find in this time of human history between, between Moses and the law and, and throughout all of Israel's uh, uh, hardships and, and triumphs and their exile and then their post-exile, what we realize is that during this time, God is looking for a people who would simply follow him. That's all, that's all he wants. He, he, he wanted Israel to follow him. And if you want to know something about the partnership that God has provided... If you want to know something about the work, the work of God requires those who will follow his leading and his law. The work of God requires those who will follow him. And yet we find that Israel proved that this was too great an ask. And yet God wasn't done. And God wasn't done. God has endlessly desired for his creation to be a part of his work. And he has given man opportunities to worship him. And you hear so many naysayers saying, well, is that the God of the New Testament or the Old Testament? And I say, do you know the God of the Old Testament that has provided over and over and over again a second chance? And over and over again, for you and I, God has provided a second chance. And over and over and over again, he says to you in the most humble way, would you partner with me? Would you, would you be interested in doing the work of God with me? And, and you think, well, man, this has got to be the end. Israel was God's chosen people. They're a royal priesthood. And, and man, I mean, like, they're, they're, they're God's people, and they couldn't do it. This must be the end of the story. It was one of those movies you go to, and at the end, you're like, wow, that was horrible. Right? You know? But you're like, but it was a good movie. It's, it feels like that at the end of the Old Testament. And yet God isn't done. He keeps giving man opportunities to worship him. And in each age, God has specifically called man to worship him in a particular manner. The goal has always been to raise up a people who would seek after God. He directed Adam to raise up a people of worshipers. He instructed Adam's offspring to walk in his goodness. He asked Noah and his sons to lead the world in God's commission. He promised Abraham a land and a seed. And he used Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Can you guys see that? With every individual and with every time, God chose a very specific way in which he wanted to instruct those people on how they could worship him. God is very intentional with his worship, and he's very intentional and specific with us on how we can, we can give him the praise that he deserves according to the way in which he wants it. In all of these unique ways throughout human history, God has prepared and provided a pathway for man to be right with God. God has always given us an opportunity to serve him, to participate in his good work. But through human error, we've steadily drifted from him. And so we get to this place, we're at this crossroads, and, and what we understand is that time had come. God had provided all of these ways for man to partner with him. And, and what's the same result? Man falls away. Man rejects the call of God. Man rejects the plan of God. Man rejects the partnership. And so God knew, and it had been proven, that man could not obey the Lord. Did, did you guys see that? All of the Old Testament... All of the stories, all of the people, everything that you read, if you read it within the context of God is inviting man into his good work, what we realize at the end of the Old Testament and what we have to do, if it's a, if it's a math problem, what we have to do is we have to get to the end and say, um, I think, I think we can't. I think we can't. And so we end the Old Testament in this place where no matter how God specifically called man, we see man keep failing the commission, we're failing the plan, the work of God. 
Man was incapable in every way of fulfilling the plan of God. The time had come for God to intervene, for him to partner with himself on the behalf of man. Galatians 4, 4, it says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. God sent his son Jesus to be the example that we could never be. He sent his son to live the life that we could never live. To fulfill a law that was unfulfillable. To love sinners while never sinning. To obey his father without question. And die a death that our sin accrued. He paid the penalty for all of our shortcomings. And in doing so, he satisfied God's great need to judge sin both that day, now, and forever. Jesus joined his father in the good work that he had always intended for his creation. Read with me Matthew 21, 33 through 39. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower. So, so this this, this householder, they, they create this situation, this vineyard, where everything is ready for the vineyard to produce what it needs to produce. And he let it out to husbandmen, gardeners and, 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 and workers and laborers, and, and he went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants. These are, these are those who were, who were his servants, and he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. Thank you so much. You've been working for me, and so we're ready to collect. And the husbandmen, because they, they failed to realize that the, that the job they had was, was, the, was the householders, that, that it all belonged to him, after a while they started realizing that this vineyard's pretty nice, and, and honestly, you know what? I think it's mine. And they started believing that, that all of the gifts that the householder had given them were actually for them. And they, start, they started to forget that the householder was the one who actually created the whole situation and that everything that existed was because he was a good householder. He gives them an opportunity to enter into his work and they completely are blinded to it, forgetting that the blessings of the householder were actually a responsibility for them to give him what he deserved. And so what do they do? And the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first. And they did unto them likewise. But last of all, man, we're not going anywhere. This isn't working. Last of all, he sends them his son saying, well, they'll reverence my son. But when the husbandman saw the son they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. This is not only a prophecy of Christ's death by Jesus himself. He's speaking of his own death. But it is also the history of man written in seven verses. In seven verses, you have the entire history of man written. Let me tell you a story. Well, I can tell you one in seven verses. So here we are. Jesus came to earth and died on the cross to reconcile us back to the Father. And from this, we see that the good work of God needed God himself to do the work. And so what we find is that in Christ, it is revealed that the good work of God can only be fulfilled by God himself. That only by God can the good work of God be accomplished? And so we, we read about Christ coming and, and, and Jesus Christ 
living the perfect life and he dies on the cross. But guys, listen, that's not the end of the story. And and listen, I'm not even referring to the resurrection, although that's the best part. That's not the end of the story. Not only did Christ die on the cross and rise again, but the word of God says that he gave man his spirit so that we could finally be part of his good work again. Genesis 1, God is doing a good work. Genesis 1, he says, man, I want you to be a part of it. Man forfeits that. He says, I want to pursue my own things. God says, that's okay. I'm going to foster an environment by which you can know me and you can enter back into it. Would you repent of accomplishing your own work and actually be re-engaged with my work? Over and over again, God gives opportunities through government and through the family and through the law. And man, every time says, no thanks. And so God realizes, and he always did, it's time to send my son. And you think, well, this is the most stupendous, this is the most amazing thing that God would send his own son and that his own son would die for us and that he would rise again and there's victory. But listen, the great thing about this, Christ's death and resurrection, is that if you believe on him, if you accept him as your personal Lord and Savior, the word of God says that his spirit then resides in you. With the point of what? With the goal of what? That you could be a part of his good work. That was not possible. And the Old Testament showed you it wasn't possible. But now it is. But now it is. Man was unable. And so God made him able. John 14, 16 through 18. And I will pray the Father... And he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Acts 1.8, it says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Man was unfaithful, so God placed his faith in man. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. I'm dead. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not by my faithfulness, but the simple fact that God placed his faithfulness in me. He placed his righteousness in us, who loved me and gave himself for me. In 1 Timothy 1, 12-13, Paul says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful. He reckoned me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. So what do we learn about the good work of God? The good work of God requires faithfulness. The good work of God requires faithfulness. And it's a faithfulness that I do not possess in and of myself. Just like a good father, God invites his children into the work And even though we fail in our obedience and ability, God continues to bring us near. Clear that the child cannot accomplish the work of the father. Instead of getting frustrated with his son, the father does the work that the child could never do on his own. And instead of pushing you away, instead of pushing his child away, even in the child's inability, the father still wants the son to be near him. And so the father does the work with the son with the hope that at some point the son will see how he can mimic the way of the father. This is God the father. There came a point where God knew we would have no ability to accomplish his work. But instead of throwing us aside, the father enters by way of his son and he does the work for us. But not to show his disapproval, but once again to draw us near. So what have we learned so far? In every dispensation of time, God has partnered with man to produce his good work throughout all of creation. And now he has chosen to use those of us who have the indwelling of the Spirit. 
He has chosen to partner with those who have placed their faith in Jesus. The good work of God can be done after all. That because of the Holy Spirit and you, the work of God can be done. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Do you see the magnitude of what God has done? Do you see the incredible opportunity that God has given to us? God is he's even now asking you and me if we will join him in bringing many sons to glory. He wants to know, he wants you to know and live out his great commission. Guys, this has always been the plan. That throughout history, God would use his creation to bring to pass which, what, what has always been his good work. What a privilege it is to partner with the God of all creation. What a privilege it is. And how beyond reason that God would do such a thing, to, that he would want to use me. That he would want to enlist me. But to do that, to actually make a difference in his work, just like every other generation that came before us, we must understand and know the specifics of the plan and how we can be a part of its unfolding. We must know how, how is God working today? You belong to good churches. And for the most part, I believe many of us would say, yeah, I believe I understand and know how God is moving and I believe and know how God is wanting to use me. But, but I don't know if that's the case for all of us. How can we see his great and good plan unfold in us? Following Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection, he gave these marching orders to his apostles, Matthew 28, 18 and 20. And Jesus Christ spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. If you want to know how you can be a part of God's good work for this generation, for this time, it begins right here. This is the mission. This is the mission for those who have the indwelling of God's spirit. Listen, guys, listen. There is a lot of talk about God's work today. There's a lot of talk about how to do God's work. There are many theories and many suggestions. People say all the, all, all the, all the time, well, I want to know what God has for my life. I just want to know what God has for my life. But the reality is, is that you can know. You can know God's work. And you can know how to be a part of it. Don't get lost in the social gospel. Don't get mixed up in a justice that comes about due to a societal correction. Don't tie your faith to a governmental action. Today we must look to God's word to be a part of God's work. And following the cross, we must know where we can find it. That work is found in Matthew 28. It's the Great Commission. And once again, what is the Great Commission? It starts off like this. Go. God has called us to go. He's told us to teach all nations and to baptize believers. And we are to teach his word to those who believe even unto the end of the world. This is the good work that God has called us to. Not only can you know it, but you can be part of it. So let's close it up. In the beginning, God provided for us a foundation. He has determined to do a good work in his creation. He has framed that foundation with an invitation he wants his creation to enter the work, to partner with him. But we forfeit that opportunity when we choose to live after our own desires and not that of his own. And yet even in our hurt, God still offers and fosters an environment where repentance is possible. You can turn around. We learn that God wants his work to be found throughout all the world, that that's his desire. We saw that God's work is a family business. To accomplish this work, it's going to require that we operate as a family. The work of God, it needs followers. 
those who are willing to learn and obey and follow his leading. And then finally, it was revealed that God's work can only be fulfilled when God is the one doing the work. It's an impossible mandate to the flesh. And yet for today, God has placed his faithfulness in us so that we could accomplish his good work once more. Can you see how in Christ, for you and I, that we can know and live out God's good work? Can you see it, how it unfolded? Can you see the specific details as to how God wants to use you? We can now partner with God. We don't have to live in the flesh anymore. We don't have to fall away. God provides an avenue for repentance. And by the leading of the Holy Spirit, we can follow his word. We know that Jesus came and fulfilled the law. We place our trust in him then. And we choose to live in his faithfulness and, that not, and not that of our own. Guys, this, this is an invitation The first message is simply an invitation for you. I'm not trying to to bring about a false conviction, a false narrative. I'm not trying to work on your emotions. All I am trying to say tonight, and what I believe God is wanting to show you throughout this week, is that you can now be a part of God's good work. You. That's your opportunity. You can actually be a part of God's good work. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.